There are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Dr. Elise Cortez, joining live from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. If you've been tuning in for a while, you know this program is an inspirational thought leadership platform that advances the conversation on living and working with passion, inspiration, and purpose. I'm committed to helping create a world where business and capitalism are a force for good, constantly working to address the immense number of problems society faces, and serving all stakeholders. The Gallup organization reports that 85% of the global workforce does not want to go to work on Monday or whenever the shift starts. Let's change that together and instead make work an enriching part of life that expresses meaningful contribution and helps us grow into our highest selves, all in service of the organization's purpose. Each week in these conversations, I hope you walk away with something that changes the way you think or that you can immediately put to use. Much of the content we discuss on this program is a reflection of the work I do. So as you listen, if you catch a glimpse of anything I can do to help, go to my website at elisecortez.com and use the contact me feature to message me. Let's open a dialogue about what's going on for you and how I might be able to help, whether it's consulting on visioneering for a greater purpose among your stakeholders, the vitally inspired leadership program, the online catch fire learning communities, or speaking for your company or conference. At any rate, I'm glad we're connected and thanks for for listening. Now on to this week's program. With us today is Louis Efron, a globally recognized thought leader, speaker, writer, and Fortune 200 HR executive. He's the author of five books, How to Find a Job, Career and Life You Love, Purpose Meets Execution, Beyond the Ink, the children's book, What Kind of Bee Can I Be?, and soon to be released, Unleashing You. He is the founder of The Voice of Purpose and the charity World Child Cancer USA. We'll be talking about his book, Purpose Meets Execution, and the work he does consulting with organizations, and also touch on the state of affairs around the coronavirus pandemic. He joins us today from Scotland, where he's been traveling and is currently stuck because of the situation. Lewis, welcome to Working on Purpose. Elise, thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. It's so fun. You know, we, we, why are we even doing this? Because we found, we found each other on LinkedIn. So thank you, LinkedIn and social media. Um, so let's start, if we can, since I know a little bit about you, because I have read two of your books now, cover to cover, and I know something about you, but our listeners don't. And since you know I'm an identity researcher, among other passions, let's start by talking about who you are. So if you were to walk into a room, Lewis, and you wanted to kind of presence the key things that make you you, what would you say? Yeah, thanks, Elise. I actually thought a lot about this question because especially now being so stranded here and now we're actually on lockdown in the UK, so we're in inside and uh, sort of broken down to my essence of who I am. And I sort of four key things that really rose to the top is a husband first, a father second, I have two beautiful girls, 11-year-old, a 7-year-old. A writer, it's something I've done since I've been very, very young, and it's the way I communicate and think through things and get my thoughts out and hopefully help other people, and really a teacher around that, too, because that's one thing I really love to do is to help people grow and, and develop. So lots of the things I love to run, hike, motorcycle ride, I so love to build Legos and travel, and, uh, but the essence, I think, are those four key things that really, I think, capture who I am. Awesome. And you and I both love to run as well. I, re- I was going to make a point of that too. So it's just, it's nice to, st- for, to hear you crystallize just those four elements. So thank you for that. Of course. Now, 
Before we get into the topic here, your book and everything else you're working on, I think it's really important, and you and I discussed this ahead of time, that we talk about what's going on today with the coronavirus pandemic. Um, there, A lot of people are, are really, really shell-shocked about this, and I want to be, both of us want to recognize the sensitivity of all this. And so can you just take a second and tell us what's going on in the world right now from, from your vantage point regarding the pandemic? Yeah, no, thanks for that, Elise. I, you know, it's been an unimaginable time, to be honest with you. We traveled over here to visit and spend some time with my wife's parents, and my wife's from Scotland, and so her, she spent most of her life out here outside of the last 14 years that we've been together. So we came over to spend time with her parents who are getting older, having some health issues. Her sister and her husband are out here as, as well. And in the, the process of all this, the, the coronavirus sort of started taking off and started accelerating at a very, very rapid pace within days, things started getting worse and worse and worse. And we had scheduled some tickets to get back before things got to a certain point where we couldn't get back. Our flights were canceled. Um, we scheduled another set of flights that were just recently canceled. We didn't want to expose her um, elderly parents to any type of germs because they're in a risk, high risk um, area in all this. So we ended up renting a motorhome, quite frankly, and winning, going up to the north of Scotland to sort of start to wait things out and be a little isolated. And um, in that time, our flights again were canceled. So we were sort of stuck and we ended up just renting this cottage um, up by um, in Ar- Ar- Aberdeen. Aberdeen is where we are actually right now. I'm doing all my geography. And so that's where we are right now. We rented it through um, the um, beginning of June because we don't know when this is going to going to change. But the thing out of all this for me and my family that we really took took away is it's sort of like our Efron, we're calling it our Efron 2020 grateful tour because it just makes you so grateful, you know, for what you had in the past and all the wonderful things in life and connecting to people and being close to people. And now with social distancing, not being able to go out, um, it's, it's just an unimaginable world. And I know this too shall pass. Uh, but right now, it's just, I know it's a scary time for everybody. People with tons of friends losing jobs, dual income. Um, it's, a, it's just a nasty time. And, um, and I think I'm looking forward to it changing quickly. Yes, me too. Um, I have a 17-year-old daughter, and so I've been really enjoying just being able to reconnect with her. That's probably been one of the most beautiful things about this is that I'm, I am also watching families strolling down the street, and I just see see a, a renewed connection and, and, and people just being out and about in a way that I haven't. So I'm, I've been enjoying that, but to your point... Um, I've had three of my conferences that I was to be speaking at in April and May postponed, and then many other things that are kind of, kind of um, in in the balance, if you will. So, and I know there's a lot of people that are really, really scared and unsure, and so definitely wanted to acknowledge, you know, the world that we're currently living in before we got into this really amazing topic of of purpose. Um, but before we do that, one more thing, Lewis. So I have some thoughts about this, but you being you have a tremendous amount of experience to draw from from this. So how do you think the world has changed and what do you foresee as the order of business post-pandemic? Yeah, I, I really do believe this is going to make us stronger than today. I tend to be a real you know, optimist and idealist. And I never thought I would get to this level, quite frankly, but I do think this is all going to make us stronger. I think we're going to have people are going to be more gracious and and um, appreciative of what they've had, as I mentioned before. I think there's going to be greater work flexibility than ever before in, in our, our history of work, because now we've sort of proven it. Most people that have jobs still are working remote, 
and it's it's going to work. We have the technology to support it. So I think it's going to it's going to give way to much more greater flex, flexible work after this is over. Um, I think there's going to be more global partnerships. People are going to be start thinking about humanity as as a whole and how we can work together across the globe to make things better. So I think it's going to revive our focus on that. And I think there's also going to be an enhanced appreciation for meaningful human connections. I recently wrote an article about this. I published about five ways to foster meaningful human connection, the virtual world, because my one concern about all these people going out in this suddenly this remote and virtual workspace is we have a, a real massive issue with um, increased anxiety, depression, suicide around the world, loneliness. And I just, if this isn't handled correctly, people are going to be pushed further away from the tribal sort of evolution that we had as, as humans, right, of connecting to people and staying close and stuff like that. So I think it's going to also foster ways of creating more mu- meaningful human connection with how we work remotely and also a, a further appreciation of, of connecting to people on a more meaningful level as opposed to looking on one hand at our iPhone and the other trying to pay attention to a conversation. I think it's going to refocus us in on how important that is to us. Well, you beautifully said, and I'm very aligned with that vision as well, Lewis. And I don't know that most of us that work in the purpose space probably are optimists, right? It'd be hard to do the work that we do without being an optimist. But same thing with you. I do tend to see that I, I see the, the the recognition that we really are now one people on the planet. Uh, it's I think this has got to be the first time that anybody's really, really gotten there to the place where that's undeniable now. And I find that that just like you, I think there's opportunity in that. And there are ways now to create collaborative partnerships across nations and stretch across the world in ways we just haven't. And so I think this has been kind of a necessary reboot almost. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. It's going to be sort of a mass equalizer, I think, among among people uh, moving forward, which is which is a good thing. It's painful. But on the back end, it's going to be a good thing for us. Yeah, I feel the same way. And we, you know, both you and I know, Lewis, that unfortunately, uh, growth does not come without discomfort. It now, and and sometimes great amounts of pain. So, yeah, the other side of this, I think there's a, a there's some tremendous. Uh, opportunity and possibility. So that's what I'm leaning into. That's what I'm standing in as I'm talking and sharing my messages too. And the part of the reason I wanted to have you on the show is to me, you really represent the possibility of what what can be in our lives. And I that's so much of what I want to do, Lewis, is help people get access to whatever it is that you ache to do. Let's get you there. Yeah. Thank you, Elise. Thank you for that. It's excellent. Yeah, you're welcome. Well, before we get into the content of your book, um, I think it's appropriate to ask you, Lewis, what is your purpose and how did you discover it? Hmm, I never really thought about that. I'm totally kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it's never crossed my mind. I know. It's never good. Yes, it's obviously my brand being the voice of purpose is something my whole life I've actually, I've always been interested in this topic and I've, I've been very blessed to come from a sort of really purpose-driven family and always thinking about this. And um, I was able to boil it down to really, for myself, is to enlighten, inspire, and teach. And the way I've I've come about that is actually I've looked back, I, I frequently look back over my life and think, when have I been most successful, most inspired, most motivated, most engaged, and doing the most good for other people, adding the most value? And for me, consistently, no matter what I was doing, whether I was in back in my days in theater or in the corporate world or consulting or speaking, it was always when I had a chance to enlighten, inspire, and teach. And the more I could do that, the more success I had, the better I felt, the more fulfilled I had. So that was that was sort of my journey, and it guides me in everything I do. I know when I'm getting too far away from it, I get more frustrated. 
I'm not having as much success. So I get myself back to that place. And that's, that's my sort of my North Star, my guiding light. Mm. It just, it really, it really makes a difference, right? When you've got access to that and you can use it as your North Star. Um, and it's so important to keep it present in our lives, as both you and I know. And I can tell you, for me, there were a couple of moments through this journey with, with the coronavirus when, you know, I, I, it wasn't necessarily totally present for me. And I had someone who credits part of our work together as she started this amazing uh, women's empowerment or, organization called Joyally. She said to me, Louis, she said, Elise, what are you going to do to help us get through this mess? And my first reaction to her was, I'm off duty. I'm dealing with my own <laughs> thing right now. And she just let this huge silence fill the phone. And I knew what she was saying is, no, you're not off duty. That's not what you get to do at this time. That's not your purpose. And so I think that's a, you know, that's a good reminder for all of us is, you know, just because this is a really unshaking time, we got to stay true to that purpose. Yeah. You know, the one thing I'll, I'll just add real quick, that's been such a sort of really highlighted it for me is with my girls, my young girls trying to explain and give them hope for the future. It's so interesting. I think we can all relate to that with anybody we speak to. Um, that's the challenging thing around this. How do we just inspire and, and continue to teach and explain? And like I said, my, my girls have really highlighted that for me um, within my purpose big time. Mm. Well, speaking of that, I, I have to ask, and I'm looking at this beautiful book, What Kind of Bee Can I Be?, the children's book that you wrote. Um, I, I know that you know there's, a, there's some beautiful overlap there, and you and I did talk a little bit about this when we had our pre-call on you coming out on the show, but um, why did you write that book, and why is it significant for you? Yeah, well, first of all, my daughters wouldn't read any of my business books, so I figured I'd write something for them. <laughs> um, but the, the, one of the other reasons that's really important is I, I really have always wanted, I want to change the world around this. I want people to start thinking differently about their life. I mean, they spent most of their time working, um, and I want people to do, enjoy life and be fulfilled. So I thought, what better way of starting to have this conversation and weave this into a children's story when you're doing a bedtime story for your kids or even older kids that are just want something sort of fun to read. Um, it's a way of, of reinforcing this message that um, you need to be who you are. And that's that's what makes you great and unique and follow your purpose while you're put on earth. And so it was a way of really it's a it's a sort of a, a subtextual way of me sort of weaving this into the next generation um, of, of workers and people and, um, and how they live their life. And that's one of the core reasons why I wrote this book. And I, and I love it. I come from a creative background, undergraduates in theatrical directing. So I've written short stories and plays my whole life before writing for business. So it was back to my core nature of my writing too. So it's been, it's been fun. And I, it's the way I think I can make, quite frankly, the largest impact on the future of society by weaving these messages in early through books like this. Mm. That is so inspiring, Lewis. And of course, you and I talked about that before, and I, I had the same sentiment when you shared it with me then. But I, I agree. And so if we can reach into that new young generation, and they, they come into the work world from the place of what am I passionate about? What do I love? What's my purpose? Versus where can I go just get a job and make the most money? Um, I think we will start to really impact the depression rates, the suicide rates, and all the other things that it, that we experience today. So yes, I applaud you. The world needs you. Keep doing it. Please write more books. 
<laughs> thank you. Thank you. I, I'm working on them now. Working on them now. Thanks, Elise. <laughs> I know. I know. Me too. So um, now relative to that, though, you you, know, you said your purpose is enlighten, in, inspire, and teach, but you've got a pretty specific focus on where you do your work, which is, you know, I think inside organizations. So what's your why for doing that work? Yeah, you opened the show with actually one my why, to be honest with you, when you spoke about 85% of the global workforce don't want to come to work and these type of things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've... I am so pained by this concept that we spend the majority of our life working, as I mentioned before, and for 85% of the world population to not be happy in what they do. And if you're not happy in what you do, you don't produce the best results. Um, You're not happy in life. You're not as engaged. You have more health issues, all sorts of stuff. So if we could unleash, so my why is, again, this big idealistic why is if we can even change that by 50%. Imagine, or even 10%. Imagine how it, what, the economic power that we can unleash, the life fulfillment we can uh, unleash, better quality of work, people happier, hap- bring more happiness and fulfillment home to their, their kids and their families, the next generation. It's, I mean, it's a diabolical situation that our engagement numbers that we've been reporting on for 30 years, 40 years now, through organizations, great organizations like the Gallup organization, but these numbers have not changed, right? Everybody out here, we're all trying to work on it and make it better, but the numbers are not changing. That The 85% is still hovering around there for, for decades. So my why is to try to put a dent in this, to try to change that with all my content, with my speaking, my consulting, everything I'm doing to help people think about their lives differently, think about their work differently, have organizations think about their organization differently um, so we can change these numbers and we can actually start seeing only 50% or hopefully at some point in the, in the perfect world, right, that there's nobody out there that doesn't like what they do. I know it's probably unrealistic, but um, that's that's sort of my, that's my why. I mean, in a nutshell, is to make a difference around this space that we're all trying to work in. Me too, that we're very aligned. No wonder we found each other, right? It was impossible. Uh, absolutely. I, I want to comment on that, um, but let's grab our first break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Louis Efron, who is a globally recognized thought leader, speaker, writer, and Fortune 200 HR executive. He's the author of five books, which include Purpose Meets Execution and the children's book, What Kind of Bee Can I Be? And soon to be released, Unleashing You. He joins us today from Scotland. We've been talking a bit about how he got into this space, why it's important to him, and also what's been going on with the coronavirus and the pandemic. After the break, we're going to talk more about Purpose Insight Organizations. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose.
Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Louis Efron, the founder of The Voice of Purpose and the charity World Child Cancer USA. He's the author of five books, which include Purpose Meets Execution and the children's book, What Kind of Bee Can I Be? and the soon-to-be-released Unleashing You. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So you speaking about impacting that 85% of the global workforce that doesn't want to go to work on Monday, of course, I'm up for that as well. Now, let me add one other really interesting idea. I had a woman named Karen Hoyas on my radio show, I guess about maybe a six, eight months ago. And she says in her book, and we talked about it on air, she says right now only 1% of the global world population is fully living their purpose. And she said, when we get to 3%, human consciousness will be raised such that peace is actually possible. I think that's worth getting up for. I love it. That's a beautiful, yeah, beautiful statement. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. So if we can get people more passionate about the work they're doing and working toward purpose, I I think we really can change that tide. So um, I'm in. Let's keep moving. (laughs) <laughs> Let's yeah, keep working. Absolutely. And, and you got one life to live. This, this, why wouldn't you want that, right? Why wouldn't you want to, to be more fulfilled in what you do? Yeah, and that's what, a lot of what I speak about when I'm out talking, Lewis, is I really, really challenge my audiences. Look, you have one precious life. What are you going to do with this? Are you going to sit on the sidelines and watch it go by? No, 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 no. So when I'm talking to people, a lot of times you know, I'll ask we're talking about passion. I asked them, what are you passionate about? Do you know what the number one response is to that question from crowds? Yeah, what is it? I don't know. They uh, don't know. Interesting. Yeah, yeah you know, so. I, I got to tell you, the one thing when I'm out speaking on the same topic, Lise, is the, you know, people are on these treadmill in life and people aren't happy in what they do and they're just going to work each day. But the few people that take a moment to think about their lives and reflect on these questions. I mean, that's why my first book I wrote, I wrote specifically for this reason, just to, to, put questions in there is that one, how to find a job career in life you love. And it was about helping people ask questions and take, even if you take five or 10 minutes out of your life, out of your day to ask questions of if you're happy, what you should be doing. It's a gift. And those type of things just raise insight into what you should be doing in life. But most people don't do it. And that's why I think these numbers don't change because we don't stop to think about what we should really be doing and how we should run our lives. Mm -hmm. Agreed. I am absolutely in full agreement on that. Um, and, and along those lines, I, there is so much, to, like you said, that we can do in the world of work, I think, to really impact that number. And one of the things that you say in your book that I found quite compelling, and it's, you know, there's so much of it here uh, that threads throughout your book, is you, you have determined in your experience in your work that organizations with a strong sense of purpose but an inability to execute will ultimately die, while organizations that are expert executors but fail to understand and see the value of their purpose will never reach their full potential. That is just that is so arresting in 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 the statement. And so, and on top of all that, your background, your pedigree of employment and consulting experiences are just amazing. And so, if we can start by helping our listeners understand, you know, what you learned and saw while working at Stryker and Tesla, you know, you told me just on the phone a couple of things that kind of comparing and contrasting those two organizations. But what did working there teach you? Yeah. Um, with Stryker, you know, I was very blessed, I always say, to start my HR, my official HR career at Stryker because it was an organization that really understood this concept of both purpose and execution, understood about caring, how to care for people and the importance of caring for people and how caring for people helps grow a business. And so I, I came out of the theater world, which was heavily purpose driven, obviously, and um, a lot of good executors there to keep very, you know, the thin budget type of shows going. And when I entered Stryker with Fortune 300 Company, 
I discovered that it had a really strong purpose that was helping people live better lives, saving lives, but it also had a really strong business model. It was both combined and they were executing along their their purpose to help improve lives. And when they were talking about their growth, they had 20% year-on-year growth for 30 years, um, which is a New York, um, New York Stock Exchange record. It was a remarkable growth. And one of the reasons behind that is their heavy focus and, and interest and, and um, just investment in people and driving that purpose. And instead of thinking about how do we make more money here, how do we save more lives, improve more lives? And the more we can do that, the more we'll grow our top line and bottom line. So it was it was I got to sort of live in that world of, of sort of purpose and execution combined, knowing why you exist above and beyond making money and then having a really strong business model connected to that to fulfill that purpose and drive your, your business results. And I thought the whole world was like that, quite frankly. I spent 11 years there and then I got recruited out of there and I started experiencing some other organizations and I experienced organizations that had really strong execution but void of purpose and then organizations that had really strong purpose but didn't quite have their execution together. So Stryker was a remarkable organization to start my career in. And then when I ended up in Tesla, another amazing organization, obviously Elon Musk is a, a brilliant guy doing changing the world. But I found a world of intense purpose, and at the time, now they've, they've turned the corner, and they've just produced, their, their, I think, one million cars, and um, they're doing a lot of great things now, and they're starting to make a profit. But at the time, they were losing $4,000 per car um, when they were selling their cars. They had intense purpose. People cared just um just deeply about trying to change the whole world around the, the environment and the political climate around um, resources, but they were losing money in every car. So the business was very unstable. And like I said, they've turned the corner, but that was, I saw the difference between organization and purpose and execution together and the power of 20% growth for 30 years versus other organizations that were potentially ready to hit the wall because they didn't have the business model sorted, but they had the purpose. And then the other side of organizations that weren't fully fulfilling what they could do, they weren't um, living up to what they can possibly be because they were really strong executors, but void of purpose and engagement was low as a result of that. Um, so I saw all those different dynamics and that's where purpose meets execution. That book grew out of. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's brilliant. We just got a question from uh, a live listener named Sam. Hi, Sam. He is in our, our chat room and he's asking, do you feel all businesses can work at this level? I think he's talking about the striker and you've just now, you know, you've just now, I think, identified that, that no, they don't, they don't all. But obviously part of what you're up to in the, in the world is trying to help more of them do that where purpose meets execution. But can you address more of Sam's question? Yeah, Sam, thanks for the question. And absolutely, every organization, first of all, every organization starts with a purpose. Um, no matter how big it is today, um, an owner, most people don't jump out of bed in the morning and thinking, I need to make money, I'm going to start a business. Because if you started a business, you know it's way more difficult to start a business and than it is to potentially get a job where you have a, a paycheck because you've got the high, you've got the upside of a business and you've got the risk. So owners or CEOs, whoever it is that jumps out of bed in the morning to start an organization, they're trying to do something for a customer for the community, for the world. That's what they want to do. And the challenge is, as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, sometimes they forget why they started in the first place and they start focusing on P- their P&L. And they start the mantra of an organization, maybe we need to grow 10% and 10% and 10%. But the fact of the matter is, 
employees don't get out of bed in the morning to grow your business 10%. They get out of bed in the morning for why your business exists above and beyond making money. So the challenge, as I mentioned, is they get bigger, organizations forget that. So it's about getting back to why you started your business in the first place. Every business has that. And then every business should have a good business model that helps fulfill why you're there. Um, Whether you're trying to, you know, make sure pets um, at at a pet store are having good nutritious diets and they're healthy and and having an enjoying life or it's saving patients or it's producing office supplies that help someone work better or it's cleaning a building to give a clean environment for uh, for people to habitate in or to um, to avoid issues like we have today um, every business has a core purpose so I think every business in the world I know every business in the world can run this way it's just about taking a, uh, a pause, thinking about, I have a whole process in my book. I mean, this is obviously much deeper than how I'm describing it now, but it's about taking a pause to think about why you exist as a business above and beyond making money. Again, every business has that. And then how do you build a business model to fulfill that purpose to drive your top and bottom line? So yeah, every business can do it and every business should should focus on daring to do it because it will ultimately make them more successful and make them their ability to hire more like-minded people to grow their business and make a bigger difference um, by doing that. Absolutely. And um, what I'm very aware of in the work that I do too, uh, and I know you do, you do the same is the importance of being able to constantly presence and make that purpose come alive for people. And so one of the things you say in the book that I just thinks to that, I think speaks to that beautifully is you say a strong and undeniable purpose should should be your core to your organization's DNA and people working for your company and customers should know and understand how your organization contributes to the world and believe its existence is necessary. Wow. If that, if we can pull that off right there, Lewis, right? <laughs> we know, we know the difference that would make, but say more about that. Yeah. So when I think about organizations, I speak of the DNA, I think of, I, I love chocolate cake. So I think of that, like if you cut uh, a chocolate cake, yeah, it's great. We'll have to share a chocolate cake someday. Um, so if you cut a chocolate cake, it's, it's chocolate outside, it's chocolate cake inside, no matter where you cut it, it's chocolate cake. So if you think about an organization like that, where what you stand for and why you exist has to be the same thing internally as externally, how, the way you market to to new hires, the way you um, the way you develop and performance management and everything you do within an organization all has to sort of reinforce that purpose and why you exist. So it happens internally and externally. And one of the examples I'll give, which I, I some more, some people love the organization, some people don't. For me, it's the so the bar for how purpose meets execution can really play out in this Walmart. And when you have 2.2 million associates around the world, whether you like the organization or not, that's like a small, that's basically a country, right? And there's going to be all sorts of issues in an organization that large. But what they've done is their purpose is to save money and live better. And I talk about this in the book. It's it's clear, it's succinct, there's nobody that would disagree, whether it's a customer or an employee, that that is why they exist. If you go in their store, it's a warehouse type of store, there's no extra frills, no one's going to carry your your groceries out or things like that. Uh, they exist to help people put more money in the bank so they could potentially send it to college, take trips that they've always wanted to tra- take, buy something special that they've wanted to, to buy saving money. And they've been able to become the largest retailer in the world as a result of that. And by the way, if you go in their corporate offices, they don't hire um, a cleaning crew to go empty trash, if, even if you're an executive in the organization you empty your own trash. And the reason why they do that is they know everything they spend in the organization 
has to be ultimately passed on to their customers. So if you're living your purpose inside and out, right, um, they are watching every penny that they spend on everything they do because they know every penny they can save is, is a penny that their customers can save. And that's, when I think about that organization, I believe that's why it's been in business for 50 years. That's why it's, you know, a $524 billion organization because they, they live that purpose throughout everything that they do. And I think that's the power of, of what, what can happen when you combine a strong purpose and a good business model connected to that to execute along that. Um, so it's, it's really powerful. And I think that's, that's a grand example for me. It's beautifully articulated, very crisp, Lewis. Thank you much. And here we are already at our next break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Louis Efron, who is a globally recognized thought leader, speaker, writer, and Fortune 200 HR executive. He's the author of five books, which include Purpose Meets Execution and the children's book, What Kind of Bee Can I Be? and soon to be released, Unleashing You. He joins us today from Scotland. After the break, we're going to talk a little bit about the, the pitfalls of purpose along, along the other lines of how to be able to further develop inside organizations. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Louis Efron, the founder of The Voice of Purpose and the charity World Child Cancer USA. He's the author of five books, which include Purpose Meets Execution and the children's book, What Kind of Bee Can I Be? It's soon to be released, Unleashing You. I'm your host, Elise Cortez. So before we get into the pitfalls of purpose, I do have to make sure and grab that World Child Cancer USA. I, I am always, I'm always so appreciative, Louis, when... People are really up to something in life. They really, you know, they they create something that didn't exist. So you do talk in your book about founding this organization in 2012. What was the story of why you did so and, and why were you compelled to do this? Well, I appreciate you giving me an opportunity to speak about this because it is very important to me. And um, World Child Cancer, the initial organization, was actually um, founded in, in the UK and the USA um entity is what I founded back in 2012. And the reason why I found that organization, I ended up connecting with the um, a gentleman named Gordon Morrison, who actually had drove the UK organization to great heights. And um, I was looking to do something to give back because unfortunately my fa- around cancer and mostly around um, children's cancer, because my family unfortunately had been hit pretty heavily with cancer. I lost both my parents um, a bit early in life to that. Um, several grandparents, several of my siblings had cancer. And so it was, it was a, a cause that I wanted to really focus on having two healthy girls myself I thought, what way to get, what better way of giving back is to focus sort of around the the child cancer space. So when I founded World Child Cancer USA, 
it was really to um, to honor people in my family and others I've known that, that struggled with this this terrible, terrible disease. And World Child Cancer helps basically children in developing countries who die of treatable cancer that sometimes a couple hundred dollars or some training or a few additional resources, supplies can help save a life. And, um, and it's a really critical time now because all these children that we help, they have compromised immune systems um, in these developing countries. And with uh, the, you know, COVID coming down the pipeline towards them, they're really, really high risk. So it's something that literally it's something that with enough money and a relatively small amount of money in comparison, we can eradicate sort of children cancer, child cancer. So it's something that's, uh, that's resonated with me because we could, I can really make a big difference through this charity. And we've helped thousands of children over the years. It's been in existence and we continue to push forward even these difficult times to, to save and improve their lives. So it's just, again, very important cause for me. Thank you for for being who you are in the world, Lewis, and for for putting forth the I know enormous effort that it takes to do that. And again, I I want to celebrate that the way that you're you're using your one precious life. That's what what I, we want to encourage everyone to do. So had to make sure and get that that question in before I forgot. So thanks for um, that. You're welcome. You're welcome. And then next, um, one of the things I really appreciate about your book is that you have a chapter devoted to the pitfalls of purpose. And the reason I think this is awesome, Lewis, is we often talk about purpose and how great it is and how wonderful it is, all the great things about it. But we're really not talking about things like pitfalls. And you do name several in the book. So would you share just a couple of common ones that you you've discovered? Yeah, when I first got in the purpose space and started speaking heavily about this about almost about 10 years ago now, the one thing I found consistently is that sort of money and profits was like a dirty word within the purpose-driven organization, (laughs) right? Uh, People didn't want to talk about it. And and the fact of the matter is um, making money and having successful business, a good strong P&L helps you, as I mentioned mentioned earlier, helps you further fulfill your purpose. Um, So one of the pitfalls is an organization that doesn't believe that profits and money are important because the more you make, the more the more like-minded people you can hire and the more you can do what you want to do for your customers, your community, and the world. So that's one huge pitfall. And again, this came really from my, a bit from my striker days too, where we were so passionate about doing what we were doing that we didn't have the, the profit model sort of worked out. Um, the other one is I find this a lot in a lot, especially small businesses that are people are so passionate about their purpose and why they started their business that they end up burning out. I've, I've wrote an example in a book of, in my book about one gentleman who was a friend of mine that basically left his own business to travel the world. He just, he quit his own business because he, wow. he was so passionate about it, but he just got burned out and he started missing things for his, his family and other important things that were important to him personally in his life. So the the pitfall around that too is that you balance that is that you you have this passion but you make time for other things that you you care about as well, your family and friends because if you don't Later in life, you regret it. You, you may work 10, 20 years and build this great business, and you think, God, I missed all these other important things in my life. So that balance is important. I think that's a, that's a huge pitfall. And the last ones I'll touch on is an important one that I think happens a lot as well, is around uh, a CEO or founder that starts an organization and has a strong purpose for it. And doesn't necessarily build that deeper into the organization. So they become the champion for the purpose. They they're sort of the billboard for the purpose, but they're not hiring correctly, right? They're not hiring people that believe in what they believe, not people that think the way they think, because you want people to think differently because that's where innovation comes from. But you want people to believe in what you believe. And if you have people come in the work 
they have a personal purpose that aligns with the organization's purpose and the CEO's founder's purpose, then it's that chocolate cake syndrome again, right? Everything's aligned and people are working harder and all working in the same direction. But if you're hiring people who just want a job, right? Um, for example, in a pet store, if you're hiring someone who doesn't really care or own a pet, doesn't really like pets, but they just need a paycheck, they're, they're not going to produce the great results you're looking for. They're not going to take care of your customers the way you want them to. Um, they're just not going to help drive your business. So the key on this pitfall is making sure that when you're hiring, you're hiring, again, like-minded people so you don't fall in a situation where there's just one person that's, that's pushing and driving this purpose. It's a whole organization moving in one direction. Mm-hmm. I totally, totally am aligned with that. Uh, before I go on to the, the next question, um, I want to go ahead and grab uh, from something from Alvin, another listener. Hi, Alvin. Thanks for coming in and listening to us. He's going back to your, your cancer um, organization. He says, with cancer being around for so long, don't you think there's a cure out there? I absolutely do, Alvin. Thanks for that. I, I That's why I'm involved in this space, because I think if there's enough uh, focus and energy I think there is. There's something out there. I don't know exactly what it is, but there's so many different strains of cancer. I think that's been the challenge around solving this. Um, But I I can't imagine, to your point, that's been around this long. We have such advanced medical technology and insight into this that we can't solve it. And in some cases, um, it's, it's a matter of money, I do believe. I mean, I've been in HR space for so long. I've seen you know, these new medical technologies coming down the pipeline that they could they could save someone's life that would otherwise die that could be $10 million to do it, right? So I think there's also that challenge of the money and the resource and affordability and insurance issues, insurance companies. I mean, there's so many dynamics playing in here. Uh, but I do believe we, we're, we're smart people. We may have a, it looks like we may have a cure for, for coronavirus, which started only, you know, a few months ago. And we've been able to ramp that up and potentially solve that. So I think if enough focus, enough energy, enough resources, we could absolutely eradicate cancer. Um, so I, that's, that's why I'm in the space. Awesome. Beautiful response. Thank you again, Alvin. Okay, so one of the things that I also appreciate about your book is that you there's so much richness to the examples that you provide. You really give us access to, well, how do we do this purpose stuff inside an organization? And and I really envied, frankly, Lewis, that you've got this very crisp sentence that reads, quote, purpose is the crucial foundation, execution, the catalyst to fulfill purpose. And I was like, oh, my gosh, someone writing my own book right now? <laughs> that is like so crisp and compelling. And so one of the things you also talk about is some of the practices that Stryker employed to help connect employees to the important work that they were doing. Um, and that, to me, really shows how we can support this notion of how do we how do we live our purpose and execute well. So will you share just some of the practices that, that Stryker did to support and make to presence purpose to enliven their workers? Yeah, again, I was very lucky to grow up in HR and Stryker because I, I did get to see these amazing things um, sort of unfold in front of me as I, I grew as an HR professional. And one of the most powerful things that they did, I, I used to, when I first started at Stryker, I was handling one of the manufacturing sites and, you know, we, we made hips and knees and spines. It's, it's plates and screws for the body if you don't know what Stryker does, um, the huge player in the space. Um, and there were people in the manufacturing site that would put literally manually at the time, manually beads on like a hip or knee product. Um, it was painful. I used to go as an HR professional and do all the work so I could relate to what my employees were dealing with when they had issues 
And I remember doing that one job for like an hour and I just wanted to jump off a cliff. It was so tedious. Um, and some of these people have done this for 30 years. But what Stryker did is they brought patients into all areas of the business, whether it be manufacturing or the office workers, no matter who it was. And they had them talk about how the products impacted their lives, how grandparents could now pick up a grandkid they couldn't pick up before, how they could go back to playing golf, a game they love without without pain, um, how we saved a life, maybe just a cancer patient or things like that. And there was never a dry eye in the house when these patients were talking about that and just reaffirmed the purpose of why people are there, why people are sitting putting those beads on those products and, and the connection behind the front line of the business and ultimately the the meaning and purpose of the organization. And that was so, so, so powerful, bringing customers in um, and patients in. And then around reinforcing the message everywhere. I mean, it was in meetings, on the walls, in videos, um, performance management, reward and recognition. Everything was wrapped up into it. There was no place you turned where you didn't get a reinforcement of why we were all there doing what we're doing. And whether you were in HR or finance or selling the product or manufacturing, everybody knew why we were there. And it made it, it turned it from a, a job to a purpose and a meaning. And when you have meaning in what you do, it's just so much more, you're so much more fulfilled. You work harder, you put better quality work um, and everything is just better. And that's what Stryker did so well. And 11 years, I got to understand that and grow up in that and and then ultimately impart that through my writings and, and speeches and stuff like that. But it was pretty powerful, pretty powerful practices. It is, and I really just want to reinforce those points for our listeners and that finding a way to show how your product or service serves and your your customer, your clients, and making that so palpable for your employees is the opportunity to show how do you make a difference, how do you make how do you make that impact. And you know this, Lewis, right, in your work too, is when we can do that, when we can bring that space into the daily lives of our employees then they feel connected to that to that purpose that that's how they align with it and it's that's the thing that energizes and changes the way we what we do in our working on how people get to work and experience it absolutely and in every level of the organization that that should exist mm-hmm we are soon running out of time, so there's a couple things I want to get out of you before we, we jump off the air here. So you talk about four entrepreneurial mindsets or practices in people management that really make a difference. Um, and I and I want to, if you can, talk um, about those mindsets, if you will, and kind of why they're important, high level at this point. And, the, and otherwise, listeners, you've just got to pick up the book. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's an interest of time. I'll give you a quick summary of it. So, uh, yeah. So the mindsets around the, the new the new um, workforce coming in, and actually all all workforce cares about this. But specifically, we talk a lot about the millennials and um, other generations coming into the workforce. And so, there's four key things that I believe are important. And the first one, it goes back to my theater days where there's no small roles, right? My, one of my theatrical director mentor at one point would say, you know, remember when you're directing a, a piece, there's no small roles. Everybody plays an important part of the whole. And this is an important mindset as you think about your organization. When I, again, I'll give you an example of Stryker, when I started my corporate career, the person that sold me most on the organization was a receptionist when I came in um, to for my interview. This woman named Nancy, a, amazing lady. I was a little nervous Nervous coming in, she calmed me down. She told me how important the organization is, how much she loved it, and I left that room going in my first interview, wanting to work for this company. And she was the receptionist there, so it shows there's no small roles. She had a huge impact on me wanting to join this company in her in her position. Um, leadership with purpose is is 
key, and we spoke about this before, making sure it's aligned. I'll give you a quick story. When my wife was pregnant with our second daughter, we were in Scottsdale Healthcare Maternity Ward, and while we were touring around seeing the facility, suddenly this lullaby, lullaby started playing on the loudspeakers, and everybody stopped, all the nurses and personnel stopped to listen to this lullaby and we're like what is going on and they said well a new life just came into the world so every time a baby was born they played this lullaby with a loudspeaker and I thought man what an amazing way of reinforcing why everybody's there and the purpose so that was key um, okay to learn from mistakes this is a a concept that I sort of took from my days of IDEO not, my, not working with IDEO but studying IDEO a lot or a product development company. I just love, they've done some amazing things. And they have this concept of fail fast and creating a culture where people feel it's okay to make mistakes as long as you learn from them. And so this is a, a mindset of making it okay to make mistakes and okay to learn and grow and fail fast because a culture of fear where people are afraid to make a mistake is an innovation killer, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, people, if people don't feel they can push the boat, then nothing new and exciting is going to happen in your organization. So that's really key. And then finally... So the one team concept where you're competing against your competitors externally versus competing internally, right? You're working as one team, making decisions that are best for the entire organization, the team versus an individual or a team within the organization. So those are all really, really key sort of four concepts. Thank you for that, Lewis. I just wanted to really give some meat to our listeners in addition to the, you know, the, the, the conversation you know, on the high level that we've been having. And here we are at the end already. So you know this conversation is being heard from by people across the world. We're trying to help people gain access and discover their passion, inspiration, and purpose. Say in about 30 seconds, what would you like to leave our listeners with? Yeah, the last thing I'd like to leave listeners with is my favorite quote. If you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change, uh, Dr. Wayne Dyer. And I think in this particular day and age, we have a lot of negative things happening. And if you look at the negative things, you'll only think things that are wrong in the world. If you look at barriers, you'll, you won't see the opportunities. So I think right now, more than ever, we need to be really look at things, what we're grateful for and what opportunities we have in our life to make a difference for us and for other people in the world. And the last thing I'd say is I hope everybody stays well and safe. Beautiful way to finish, Lewis. Thank you so much for joining joining us and sharing your heart and soul with us. It, it's really been a profound pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on the show, Lisa. So appreciate you're, it. You're welcome. We'll have you back when you get that next book out. Excellent. So, <laughs> so if you want to learn more about Lewis, his books, the work the work he does at The Voice of Purpose, visit him at his his website, which is just lewisefron.com. So it's L O U I S, and then E F R O N. Last week, if you missed the live show, you can always catch the recorded podcast. We were on the air with Dr. Arthur Sierra McCauley talking about his latest book, The Triumph of Diversity, which invites all of us to inquire into our own prejudice and dis- discrimination that we likely learned at a young age and learn to celebrate the diversity of the world and seek ways to heal our divides. A beautiful and timely conversation as we unite across the globe in response to the pandemic. Next week, we'll be on the air with Hector Garcia talking about the delightful book he co-authored called The Book of Ichigo Ichie, The Art of Making the Most of Every Moment the Japanese way. Also timely as we shut ourselves away at home. Already having read his book, I promise you'll find some nuggets in your, our conversation that you can immediately bring to your life and relationships and learn to delight in the moment. See you there. Remember that work is at least a third of our life, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, each week on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. 
This week, find your life's purpose at work.